Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into White Fragility, a thought-provoking book that seeks to uncover the underlying reasons why conversations about racism are notoriously difficult, particularly among white individuals. Published in 2018, the book explores the deep-rooted elements within American history and society that have woven together to create an environment where racial dialogue often leads to discomfort and defensiveness. Authored by Robin D'Angelo, an experienced consultant and lecturer with over two decades of dedication to racial and social justice issues, white fragility is not just a theoretical exploration, but is grounded in D'Angelo's extensive work in the field. Her expertise is further underscored by her role at the University of Washington and her prior tenure as a professor of multicultural education at Westfield State University. This book is particularly enlightening for white individuals who find the topic of racism challenging to confront and for people of color curious about this phenomenon. Furthermore, white fragility is an invaluable resource for advocates of anti-racism seeking a deeper understanding of the discomfort surrounding these discussions. Engage with us as we unpack the intricate dynamics of race and the protective reactions that this sensitive subject can elicit in white fragility. White fragility. Why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. Introduction. Explore the intricacies of white discomfort in racial dialogues. Imagine the word racist like an emotional electric shock to many white individuals. It's a sign of deep moral failing, an accusation that triggers instant defensiveness and denial. But why is this reaction so visceral and immediate? To understand this, we delve into the concept of white fragility, a term that encapsulates the range of defensive moves that white people make when challenged racially. White fragility is far more than just hypersensitivity. It's a multifaceted response weaved into the fabric of societal structures and personal identities. It's particularly pronounced in interactions between white and black Americans, though its implications reach across the broad spectrum of race relations. As we dissect the layers of white fragility, We will unpack key distinctions, such as those between racism, racial prejudice, and racial discrimination. These concepts, while related, represent different aspects of the racial conundrum. We'll explore how the label racist has escalated to be perceived as slanderous, an assault on one's core values and integrity. Additionally, we'll examine the pivotal role that foundational American ideologies play in shaping the perception of racism. These belief systems act as lenses through which people interpret racial dynamics, often in ways that shield them from recognizing their own biases and privileges. By unpacking the components of white fragility, listeners will gain a deeper comprehension of the potent mix of emotions and reflexes that come into play when confronting the sensitive terrain of race and why this conversation is often so fraught with tension and misunderstanding. Part 1. Unraveling the Complex Roots of Race as a Societal Creation When we peel back the layers of white fragility, we come to encounter the bedrock of racism. And to get to grips with the reality of racism, 
we first need to confront the concept of race. Surprisingly to many, race is not an inherent physical distinction rooted in genetics. Instead, race is a societal invention, a social construct devised to categorize and differentiate people based on superficial traits like skin color or facial features. These minor variations reflect nothing more than ancestral adaptations to different climates and regions, not deep-seated genetic divergences. This idea might seem bewildering at first, considering the visual differences that are often highlighted to separate races. But the truth is, race is an idea, not a biological fact, a concept that influences attitudes, behaviors, and the very structure of society. Understanding race, then, means understanding its purpose and function within a culture. For the United States, the construct of race has been pivotal in reconciling an intrinsic contradiction. The nation's founding principles espouse equality for all, yet they were laid down in a society steeped in glaring inequality, notably the wide gap between the freedom of European Americans and the enslavement of African Americans. In an attempt to justify this chasm, some European Americans in the 18th century turned to race science, a debunked ideology masquerading as objective inquiry, alleging the natural superiority of certain European lineages over African heritages. This baseless belief system offered a rationalization for oppression and the denial of rights to African Americans, painting privilege and domination by European Americans not just as acceptable, but as natural. This sparked the codification of racial categories, specifically the labels black and white. These simplistic designations were inextricably tied to self-interest, particularly for the ruling elites. Slavery was immensely profitable and racially dividing the labor class helped prevent unified uprisings that could threaten elite power. Understanding this, gives context to the construct of race, a concept designed not from truth, but for convenience and control. It sets the stage for the examination of historical and ongoing implications of these categories, which underpin many aspects of white fragility in modern discussion on race and equality. Part 2. Tracing the fluid lines of black and white as markers of societal hierarchy. The binary labels of black and white seem simplistic, European descent on one end, African descent on the other. The reality, however, is far from simple. The meanings attached to these terms, and indeed their very definitions, have been subject to change over time, influenced by historical and social dynamics. Throughout history, the criteria for being considered white have shifted. For example, during the 1800s, Irish and Italian immigrants to the United States were not immediately granted the white label. They stood apart, somewhat excluded from the dominant social category, until they adapted to the norms and customs of white American society, such as learning English and shedding their native languages. The expansion of the white category was a gradual, deliberate process, partly guided by the American legal system. Court cases in the early 20th century decided that Armenians could be reclassified as white, while Japanese could not, highlighting the malleability of these racial categories. Legally, being white brought with it a suite of privileges. Historically, 
white individuals were entitled to rights that others were not, such as the right to own slaves before 1865, and broader citizenship rights like voting afterwards. In contrast, those defined as black were systematically excluded from assimilating into mainstream society and were denied these rights both during and after the era of slavery. What emerges from this historical muddling is a stark realization. Black and white are not fixed groups, but are instead movable markers designed to perpetuate a social hierarchy of superiority and inferiority, a system of systemic racism that has permeated every facet of society. This systemic inequality has long-lasting repercussions, clearly evident in the wide divides we see today. Looking at statistics from mid-2018, for instance, white individuals disproportionately occupied positions of wealth and power. They made up all of the ten richest Americans, the vast majority of Congress, nearly all state governors, most top military advisors, and a large chunk of university professors. The significant representation of white people in influential roles in media demonstrates this disparity in cultural influence as well. Against this backdrop, we can start to construct a clearer image of what racism really is, a subject that we will now delve deeper into, pulling apart the tangled threads of racial prejudice that have been woven into the very structure of American society. Part 3. Dissecting Racism More than prejudice and discrimination, it's systemic oppression. Diving into the concept of racism necessitates clarifying its distinction from racial prejudice and discrimination, as well as recognizing its systemic nature. Racial prejudice is about preconceived notions. It's judging an individual prematurely, solely based on their racial identity. It's a pattern of thought that says, I see you belong to Group X, and I've been told people from Group X have trait Y, so you must have it too without any actual personal interaction to confirm such belief. When such prejudiced thoughts lead to action, it becomes discrimination. This can manifest in various behaviors, ranging from social exclusion and ridicule to outright harassment and violence. Discrimination is the unjust treatment of individuals based on their racial group, and it's an equal opportunity offender. Anyone can discriminate against anyone else. However, When we step into the realm of racism, we've moved beyond individual biases and actions to talk about something systemic and infinitely more pervasive. Racism occurs when a racial group in power embeds their prejudices into the very fabric of society, its laws, institutions, policies, and norms. It's racial discrimination wielded like a club by the more powerful group to systematically oppress and control the less powerful one. Herein lies a critical difference. As individuals, people of any race can exhibit racial prejudice and discriminate. But racism as a systemic issue requires the backing of societal power structures. Thus, while black individuals can certainly hold prejudices and discriminate against white individuals based on race, they do not possess the systemic power to impose this as an overarching social doctrine on white people. In contrast, history shows us that white individuals, as the dominant social group, have been able to enact laws and policies that have marginalized and oppressed black people on a societal level. An example can be seen in housing discrimination. 
While a black real estate agent might choose not to work with a white customer, black people as a group have not had the power to enforce widespread policies that exclude white people from whole neighborhoods, a type of systemic discrimination that white people historically have been able to enact against black people. This systemic oppression is what truly constitutes racism. It goes far beyond the scope of individual acts. It's an ingrained societal issue that demands acknowledgement and reform. Understanding this concept is key to tackling the pervasive problem of racism, which is often grossly misunderstood or outright denied, a topic we shall explore further, particularly in regard to the concept of white fragility. Part 4. How the Past Shaped Present-Day Misconceptions About Racism The 1950s and 1960s were pivotal decades for reshaping the American consciousness around racism, giving rise to the oversimplified perceptions that feed into white fragility. During this era, the fierce battles of the civil rights movement played out across the nation, with black activists and their white supporters clamoring for the rights long denied to African Americans. The southern states became particularly notorious battlegrounds, with self-proclaimed white supremacists openly and violently opposing any steps toward racial equality. The reprehensible scenes of brutality, black individuals being assaulted for daring to challenge segregation, churches being torched, were broadcast into homes across the country via newspapers and television, leaving a lasting imprint on the public psyche. Such graphic acts of violence and hatred by the segregationists were what many white Americans came to understand as the face of racism. To them, racism was overt, vile, and perpetuated by individuals whose animosity toward black people was unmistakable. This understanding was further cemented by the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which legally condemned racial discrimination. For many white Americans, The combination of the civil rights movement's moral clarity and the legislative action meant that racism was something that could be codified, linked to outwardly hostile behaviors that were now, crucially, against the law. Thus, the concept of racism was reduced to an almost caricature-like image. Racists were the malevolent, hateful figures of the past who bore clear ill will towards black people. To be good and moral, by extension, one simply had to renounce such vile prejudices. Most white people naturally wished to see themselves as decent and without blame, fiercely rejecting any implication of racism as being tantamount to moral failure. This knee-jerk defensive reaction when confronted with the possibility of racial bias, the very essence of white fragility, arises from the stark simplification of complex issues into binaries of good versus bad, moral versus immoral. Before we delve into the defensive behaviors prompted by these sensitivities, let's pause to consider other foundational beliefs that contribute to the phenomenon of white fragility. Part five, deconstructing the protective assumptions white people use to shield from racism claims. The oversimplified equation of racism with moral corruption leads many white people to craft certain beliefs that preemptively absolve them of racism. These beliefs can range from seemingly logical self-assurances to entirely false premises. Let's delve into some of these common assumptions and the flawed reasoning or misinformation they are based on. I didn't mean to be racist, so I'm not racist, 
one might claim, suggesting that if an action wasn't born of conscious ill intent, it couldn't possibly be considered racist, or I am a good person, I can't be racist, a statement that equates good character with an automatic immunity against committing racially insensitive acts. You might be thinking these assumptions oversimplify human morality, where even people with good intentions can sometimes unintentionally cause harm, and you would be correct. They reveal a limited understanding of how actions, regardless of intent, can still perpetuate racism. Now, brace yourself as we step into territory marked by outright fallacies. One might assert, I'm not prejudiced so I can't be racist, discounting the fact that racism encompasses more than individual biases and that society-wide systems can operate independently of personal prejudice. Another is the declaration, racism is no longer an issue, so how can I be part of it? This ignores the systemic nature of racism and the ample statistical evidence that demonstrates ongoing discrimination, such as hiring biases against people of color. These flawed assumptions serve as a defense mechanism for many white people, who believe themselves to be rational actors free from racism's taint. The problem with such blanket dismissals is not just that they're based on bad logic, but they stem from a premise that is demonstrably false. Reports and studies continue to underscore the persistence of racism in multiple levels of society. Moreover, claiming an absolute freedom from racial prejudice is not just factually inaccurate, it is practically implausible. Many white individuals might not realize the prejudices they hold because these biases often operate subconsciously. In our upcoming exploration, we will examine why it's unrealistic to claim complete freedom from racial biases and the social dynamics that lead to the erroneous belief that racism has been relegated to the past. Part 6. How Coded Language Veils Racial Biases in Everyday Life As society has evolved, overt expressions of racial prejudices have become increasingly taboo, pushing such biases into subtle, often unconscious territory, cloaked by what seems to be race-neutral language. This subtle language shifts the way white people speak and think about race, masking prejudice with ostensibly non-racial terms. Take American residential patterns, for example. We see neighborhoods largely populated by one racial group, informally labeled as white neighborhoods or black neighborhoods. The phenomenon of white flight demonstrates this ongoing segregation. Studies indicate that white residents often depart neighborhoods that reach as little as a 7% black population, yet ask the white residents why they're moving and they're unlikely to mention race directly. Instead, they'll cite concerns about crime or a desire for safety, words that subtly reference racial stereotypes without using explicit racial language. Such descriptors imply a link between predominantly black areas and danger, while safe and clean have become code for predominantly white areas. This coded language provides a smokescreen, allowing white people to live racially segregated lives without appearing overtly racist. By never mentioning race explicitly, they avoid interracial environments under socially acceptable pretenses. The implications are significant. Many white individuals have minimal, if any, meaningful interactions with black people due to these residential patterns. Their lives unfold in racial bubbles, 
where they're less likely to encounter diverse perspectives or challenges to their beliefs. This racial insulation is compounded by broader social structures, the schools white children attend, the media they consume, the workplaces they join. Predominantly white environments reinforce this insulation by filling them with white authority figures, educators, and cultural icons. Occupying these insulated spaces makes it convenient for white people to remain oblivious to issues of racism that don't penetrate their immediate surroundings. Next, we'll reflect on the consequences of this ignorance and how it feeds into broader misunderstandings and dismissals of racism. Part 7. Understanding the nuances of white privilege amidst individual hardships. The idea of white privilege can be a contentious point for many, as it is often conflated with the notion that all white people lead effortless lives. While it's true that white individuals, like anyone, can face significant challenges, understanding white privilege isn't about negating personal struggles. It's about acknowledging the specific societal benefits that come with being white, benefits that are absent for people of color. White privilege manifests in a number of ways, with one of the key aspects being a pervasive sense of cultural belonging. As white individuals navigate society, they find themselves reflected back ubiquitously. The historical figures in textbooks, the authors in a literary syllabus, and the faces that grace our screens and advertisements. This non-stop mirror affirms to white people subtly but powerfully that their place in society is central and unchallenged, a message that is not extended to people of color. Another privilege is the presumption of innocence that white individuals often enjoy. With cultural narratives and media portrayals linking black and Latino men to criminal behavior, the collective subconscious quickly and unfairly criminalizes these groups. Evidence shows that white people often assess the crime rate of an area based not on statistics, but on the racial makeup of its residents, specifically the presence of young men of color. This racial bias seeps into legislation and enforcement, with police officers and judges also falling prey to it. The result is a legal system that disproportionately targets and punishes black and Latino men more harshly than white men for similar offenses. The case of a black or Latino man becomes emblematic of societal danger, while a white man's misdeeds are more likely to be met with empathy and opportunities for rehabilitation. White privilege, then, is not about the absence of difficulties but the presence of unearned advantages. White men confronted with crime are often seen as worthy of a second chance, whereas men of color find their very humanity easily dismissed. This unfair presumption strains the entire fabric of societal perceptions and interactions, grounding our discussions on white fragility and the imperative for nuanced conversations around racial disparities. Part 8. The Inescapable Intertwining of White Privilege with Systemic Racism and Bias Recognizing white privilege is not about pointing fingers at individuals, but revealing the systemic advantages baked into society for white people. While the examples given only scratch the surface, they underscore a critical point. White privilege is sustained by the dominance of white individuals in positions of power and by the systemic nature of racism. For instance, the cultural landscape of the United States, reflected in its television shows, published books, and taught history, is primarily shaped by the worldview of predominantly white decision makers 
who often unconsciously perpetuate a white-centric narrative. This inadvertently fashions a skewed representation of society that privileges the white experience over others. Similarly, the disproportionate arrest rates and convictions of men of color compared to white men are symptoms of a justice system that's deeply rooted in racial bias, which would likely be very different if people of color held the majority of positions within it. Thus, white individuals benefit from systemic racism, whether consciously or not. Their lived experiences, from a culturally affirmed sense of belonging to a lenient criminal justice system, would not be the same, absent the structural racism that enables these privileges. Acknowledging this is challenging because it implies that, irrespective of personal convictions or intentions, white people are part of a system that favors them, a system that shapes their perspectives and prejudices. It's a hard pill to swallow. The idea that one, despite best intentions, harbors racial biases simply by virtue of existing in a society steeped in racism. Nevertheless, it's crucial to understand that the formation of biases is not a choice, but a result of environmental socialization. And while many white people deny the presence of these biases or their part in systemic racism, this denial only serves to uphold the very structures they might consciously oppose. In our next segment, we'll confront why this denial is so widespread and how it hampers the broader goal of dismantling racist systems. Part 9. Passing the Ideological Roots of White Fragility in American Society At the core of white fragility lies an intricate web of interrelated American ideologies that buttress white people's denial of systemic racism and personal racial biases. These ideologies, individualism, meritocracy, and objectivity, provide rationalizations for racial inequalities and empower individuals to discount the significance of race in their lives and society. Through the lens of individualism, the belief prevails that a person's trajectory is self-determined, unhindered by societal influences, class, or race. Meritocracy, the belief in a just system that rewards hard work and talent, complements individualism by implying that societal success is a fair outcome of personal effort and skill. When observing discrepancies in wealth and status among racial groups, these ideologies supply a convenient explanation. If white individuals generally hold more wealth than black individuals, the reasoning follows that the former must simply be reaping the benefits of their superior work ethic. Furthermore, this logic assigns the blame for economic disparities squarely on the shoulders of black individuals, suggesting that their lack of progress is due to insufficient effort. The ideology of objectivity introduces the notion that it's possible for people to entirely divest themselves of bias in their perceptions and judgments. Paired with individualism, it encourages white people to view themselves as free from the collective racial biases associated with being part of a racial group. By embracing these ideologies, white Americans can navigate life with the conviction that they're impartial observers and actors in society. They can claim immunity from racial prejudices, asserting their personal exemption with statements like, I'm not like other white people, I don't have racial biases. These intertwined ideologies of individualism, meritocracy, and objectivity render white Americans less likely to recognize systemic racism 
or reflect on their own potential racial biases, entrenching white fragility even deeper within the societal fabric. Part 10. White Fragility, a Precarious Defense Mechanism Against Racial Discomfort When examining the myriad factors contributing to white fragility, one thing becomes clear. They form a tenuous psychological shield aimed at protecting white people from the uncomfortable realities of systemic racism and their place within it. This shield is constructed out of a complex mix of denial, projected self-image, unconscious biases, and unacknowledged privileges. This defense mechanism serves a dual purpose. On one hand, it allows white individuals to deny the very existence of systemic racism. On the other, it soothes them into acceptance of their societal advantages by attributing these to individual merit rather than racial inequity. The denial of racism directly feeds into the comfort white individuals feel about their societal status, consequently reinforcing the denial. It's a self-perpetuating cycle that depends heavily on the belief in a just, meritocratic system. But beneath the surface, this comfort is precarious and depends on a delicate balance of justifications, rationalizations, and obliviousness. Such cognitive dissonance is inherently fragile. The slight camouflage of racist attitudes doesn't require deep probing to reveal. Phrases coded with racial undertones, like calling a neighborhood dangerous, can often be easily deciphered for their true meaning. And while some racial prejudices are unconscious, they're not so deeply hidden that they can't be unintentionally exposed with a bit of introspection. The fear some white people feel around young men of color may be acknowledged in moments of candor, even if they're reluctant to connect this fear to deeper racial stereotypes. The brittle nature of this defense mechanism means it can easily destabilize at the slightest challenge, whether that be the mention of the words race, racist, or racism. This fragility can result in heightened emotional reactions, defensiveness, anger, guilt, which arise when the protective false narrative of a race-neutral personal identity is threatened. In our final examination, we'll delve into the consequences of this instability and how the reactive emotions it provokes hinders not only personal growth, but wider societal progress in addressing racial inequality. Part 11. The Counterproductive Impact of White Fragility on Dismantling Racism The concept of white fragility reveals an unsettling truth. When confronted with the slightest implication of racism, many white individuals often react in ways that stifle further dialogue and progress. As though allergic to the topic, their defensive responses serve to shut down conversations and maintain the status quo of racial ignorance and inequality. Consider the case from one of the author's workshops where a woman, having lived her formative years in Germany, free from conversations about race, vehemently rejected the notion that she could hold racist views acquired from American media or her two-decade residency in the U.S. The author's gentle push to consider this perspective was met with immediate indignation, culminating in the woman's staunch refusal to engage with the workshop moving forward. Scenarios like these are tellingly common. Whether it's an adverse emotional reaction like anger or guilt, or behaviors ranging from heated defenses to tearful exits, 
these responses are united in their protective functions. They reject accusations, redirect focus, and effectively terminate any discussion about racism in its tracks. This pattern is not isolated within the bounds of workshops or direct conversations on race. Instead, it has a chilling effect that reaches far beyond. The anticipation of such volatile reactions discourages many, including people of color and white anti-racist allies, from initiating discussions about race with white people outright. In this way, white fragility not only captures a momentary response, but stands as an obstacle in the ongoing journey toward racial equity and justice. It functions as a barrier, keeping the critical examination of racism at bay and impeding individual and collective growth necessary to address the pervasive racial issues. White fragility, therefore, becomes an unwitting accomplice to racism, not because it represents overt racial aggression, but because it stalls the kind of productive discourse and reflection that could lead to change. Addressing racism requires open, honest, and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, conversations that white fragility, in its many manifestations, persistently resists. Final summary. In America, white individuals grow up within a cultural system that imparts certain racial prejudices and behaviors, closely interwoven with the nation's core ideologies. These beliefs and actions, however, are often subtle, unconscious, and fiercely protected by mechanisms of denial and justification. When confronted with racism, whether in the form of direct challenges or implied critique, white people can be provoked into intense emotional reactions. This sensitivity and defensiveness, known as white fragility, serve to shut down meaningful conversations about racism, inadvertently perpetuating the very systems that uphold racial inequality. White fragility is rooted in the fear of being connected to racism, a concept painfully intertwined with immorality in the American consciousness, complemented by ideologies of individualism, meritocracy, and objectivity, white people often harbor a false sense of being unbiased and separate from a history and culture of racial oppression. When faced with discussions that suggest complicity in racism or touch upon potential biases, the result is often an explosive mix of denial and emotion, ranging from indignation to guilt. These reactions are symptomatic of the fragility inherent in white individuals' understanding of their place within a racially stratified society. Ultimately, the inability or unwillingness of white people to engage with the realities of racism, both as a systemic problem and as a personal internalized issue, continues to stifle progress. Change demands open dialogue and rigorous self-examination, something that white fragility by its very nature actively works against. Only by breaking through this barrier can the path to racial equity and understanding become one less obstructed. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode 
where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.